Welcome to Succession Stories. I'm your host, Lori Barkman, founder of Small.Big. As an exit value planning and M&A advisor, I call myself a business transition Sherpa. My mission is guiding entrepreneurs on ways to build value in your business and then benefit by letting it go. On this show, we spotlight the theme of transitions, not only to reward you for your hard work, but also to ensure that you look back on your succession without regret. Catch all the episodes and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to visit SuccessionStories.com to sign up for our newsletter. Here's to your success. In the M&A deal ecosystem, there are different types of buyers with different motivations. Family offices are known to have a longer time horizon. In contrast, private equity firms, for example. There are 3,000 family offices in the United States managing $1 trillion in assets. CW Growth Partners is a newly launched family investment office focused on acquiring, leading, and growing small Midwestern businesses. I really enjoyed my conversation with managing partner Alex Penosian because we talked about his family business legacy, core values, and how that shaped their investment strategy. For anyone considering a family investment office one day or selling your business to one, this will be a great episode for you. Thanks for tuning in. Alex, welcome to Succession Stories. This is a first for us on the show, talking to a startup family office. That's so interesting because it's an option for successful entrepreneurs. If they go through an exit, they go through a transition, they have some choices to make about how they want to live. What do they want to do next? Do they want to start another business? Your father, with whom you'll talk about in a moment, made the choice with you to start this firm. And I really look forward to learning about you and your experience with with your firm and CW Growth Partners. So welcome. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be here today. Why don't we start with you? Tell me about your background. Sure, absolutely. So for me, my background is I'm, I'm an Army veteran. I grew up in Milwaukee, ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. Her name is is Erin. She's from Milwaukee as well. And and then I went on to to West Point. So I did my undergrad at West Point and then spent five years in the Army. And my wife and I were living over in Germany at the time. And I did a deployment to Afghanistan and really enjoyed being in the Army, enjoyed working with soldiers and and the meaning that, that you got from that every day. But ultimately, after the time in Afghanistan, my wife looked at me and she's like, you know, let's get back to the Midwest and start a family. And so that was a, the first big transition point for us is we moved back to stateside for, for a little bit, spent a little bit of time in Oklahoma as I transitioned out of the Army. And then we moved up to Chicago. So, so nearby Milwaukee, and I went to business school at Booth and also had my first son around that time or my first child, my son, Theodore. And then following that, I went to a consulting firm called McKinsey and I worked at McKinsey for, for three years, had my daughter, Amelia, while I was there. So I have two children. So the start of family plan has worked out, worked out really well for us. And then within the past six months here, and I think this is probably what we'll talk about the most today is uh, did another pivot, but kind of not so much as a pivot as coming back to what was always the original plan and, and left my job at McKinsey to work with, with my dad full time. And he and I are, are acquiring, looking to acquire small businesses and, 
and grow the existing businesses that he already has. Thanks for sharing your background and sincerely, thank you for your service to our country. So your transition personally is part of the story and I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about the firm, CW Growth Partners. Can you share the story behind that? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start back with my father because I think, you know, especially for the audience today, there's a lot of, I'm sure, entrepreneurs that will be listening to this. So they'll probably, his story will resonate most with them is this is about 30 years now, he was working in big technology sales and decided, hey, I want to go, I want to go another path. And it was just really important for him to do his own thing. And so kind of on the side, while he was working at his day job, started looking for companies to buy and ended up identifying and and buying a self-storage facility. And this was 30 years ago and self-storage facilities are really popular and all over the place now. But they weren't, they weren't back then. And you know, we always joke is who would have guessed self-storage facilities would have been better for our family than technology yeah. <laughs> at the time with obviously that. He such, placed a bet on that, right? Yes, for sure. But it's, it's been great for our family. And so found one, realized this is a really phenomenal business model, right? In the sense of low churn, low operational complexity, really good recurring revenue. And so you know, my mom was working at that one while he kept the day job and he goes, no, we're, we're going to go for this. And so he left his job, bought another property, developed it out and then bought a few more subsequent properties. So that's that's what our family business is. And and I grew up working there. And, and I think it was one of the coolest things as as a kid, you know, doing all the little dirty jobs, right? Hanging fence line and sweeping units and pulling wires through the ground. And I remember all that and I do that with my dad. and then. We'd go back to the office. And I was like, this is the coolest thing, right? You got a job where you really get, there's a lot of value from, from working with your hands and seeing things get accomplished. But then he also had the intellectual aspect of thinking about the accounting and the book side and, and putting that all together. And so we're extremely close. And I think the plan was always for us to come back and work together at, at some point. But for me, it was really important to stand on my own two feet first, right? And so that's what kind of led me to the army and the path that I just talked about a little bit before. But then within the past year and a half, we started to talk about it a lot more. It was like, hey, okay, you've done these things. And for him, he's getting closer to retirement age. And let's figure out what the next stage of the journey looks like for both of us, right? And so we decided to come together, form Charles William Growth Partners or CW Growth Partners, and to go from there. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about what our our mission is and what what we do, but that's kind of how we got here. Yeah, no, thanks for going through that. I think we'll just ask the question now because people are hearing Charles William. So if you're third generation, your dad is second, are Charles and William G1 then? Yes, that's right. Who are they? That's right. Yeah, so they're my two grandfathers. And for us, legacy is extremely important for us. And that's really, I think, when you talk about like who your heroes are. Right. For me, that's who it was, is my my two grandfathers. And they were extremely influential on my dad's life as well. Obviously, my my dad's dad is named Charles and he was a lawyer. He had his own law firm and was a small town judge and just an incredible man as far as from an integrity standpoint, like honor really means something to him. Right. And, And really made sure that everyone in the family is held to a very high standard as far as their ethics and 
and where your word is your bond sort of generation. And, and so that's one legacy that we want to live up to. And the other legacy is, is my mom's dad, whose name is, is William. And he was an army veteran as well. And just a, a guy who could get things done. And back in the days of incredible gumption, I think is the word where he had no formal training or education and ended up developing multi-million dollar real estate. And, you know, later in his life, ended up owning a couple of small properties, but just for what he was able to accomplish as an entrepreneur is something that, you know, we think is our kind of core values are, you know, do the right thing and then be bold. And that comes from those two. That's great. A lot of people, I ask them, I say, is there an entrepreneurial gene in your Mm -hmm. family? We would say probably yes. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for sure, for sure. (laughs) That's awesome. And I like how you shared your core values too. I think that's really important because you're a new firm. This is a new startup firm. So let's talk about that as a choice to create a family office. We don't have to go into all the detail here, but essentially your father had some sort of wealth creation Mm -hmm. transaction. Did he sell his portfolio of companies or does he still own them? So we decided to maintain ownership of the current portfolio. That's part of our our model is kind of a permanent hold type philosophy and and really believe in the power of compounding over time. But it it has gone to a point where you know, we've been able to build up a little a little bit of cash reserves, right? And have a lot of equity in the businesses. So that gives us the opportunity to go out and, and be equip, acquisitive and and try to grow. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So let me switch gears a little bit. Let's start to talk about the firm and Mm -hmm. how you look at deals and and what's important to you. So what I see is that in this deal ecosystem, there's different types of buyers and different buyers have different motivations. So there's strategic buyers, there's financial buyers, and there are related buyers. Yep. And a family office typically is known to have a longer investment horizon when committing to this illiquid asset class like a privately held company, which is a different profile from other private equity market participants. And PE funds are known to have more of a foreseeable exit time horizon than sort of a call it five to seven years-ish. And they've set that foreseeable exit timeline early on. And it's sort of known to all parties that that's the plan. Whereas and this is the question for you as much as us you know, discussing it is, is that different in a family office? Will family offices target companies for a longer time horizon because they are looking for this promise to generate value over a mid to long term without a preset expiration date? How do you look at that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's right. And, and one thing I would say is certainly every family office is different, right? So the joke goes, if you talk to 30 different family offices, you'll probably get 30 different answers in a way. But I think one thing that really separates family offices from the other private equity groups or some of the other type type of buyers is they don't always have investors. They may bring other folks in on a deal, but generally they don't have investors that they're going to be beholden to because they're using their own capital. And so that gives them the opportunity to be really, really flexible. And so flexible on things like time horizons, right? Things on transitions, on on structure, and, and can really tailor it to what the business owner wants. 
And I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, maybe is what, as far as we look for and how the conversations go, but I would say the most important question that we're going to ask is what are your goals to a business owner? And so we can understand, and then we can start to talk about that. And I think where we're a really good fit is another family owned business that for whatever reason, maybe doesn't have the next generation lined up or, but almost, almost in a sense, like recognizes the value of something like that, right? Where they really are going to care about the legacy. They really care about their employees. They really care about their, their customers. And they want to make sure that all of those different stakeholders are, are treated in, in the right way. And, and why we're a good fit there is because we don't have to sell it in three to five years. And, and frankly, we don't want to. So my dad has never sold a, never sold a business, right? And, but has bought four. And we still hope to own those for the next 30, 30 and beyond years. And, you know, that influences the type of business that we're going to target, of course. But, but that's how structurally I think we're a little bit different than some of the other buyers out there. So what do you look for in an acquisition? Sure. Yeah. So for us, we have a, a geographic filter. So we look predominantly in the Midwest. In, I'm in Chicago. My dad's in Milwaukee. So we look pretty heavily in those markets. And then size-wise, we look at the smaller end of the what you can label as the lower middle market. So around $2 million in bottom line. And then we're going to look for a, a type of business is really we're, we're looking for stability through a transition and then growth potential thereafter, right? And so for stability through a transition, we're really going to look for quality of revenues. So whether there be some aspect of recurring revenues or contracted revenues or high, very high percentage of repeat business, that's that's really important for us because it's going to give us the confidence that we, you know, we can carry that that revenue through. I think one of the challenges for certain certainly a lot of business owners to think about is a lot of businesses in this size are really reliant on the owners. Right. Well, that that's natural and that's great for while you're running, running the business, but becomes really hard to sell the business in, in, in that case. So that's something that we we really dive into. And then the other thing that we're going to look a lot about is just situation and why it makes sense, not even for us, but for the seller to work with us. Right. Versus going to a private equity group. So one of the things that that we do is basically in one of our big value ads is boosting up the management team. And that doesn't mean investing cash flows in additional management team members. And that doesn't mean we have to, if you if there's a CEO or a general manager in place that we have to replace replace them or that would be in the plan. But certainly I think we view one of our big value adds is a lot of peers of, of mine where let's call them youngish but pretty talented, talented people that are very hungry and desire to work in a, in a small business and help them grow. And so those are my, my military peers, my business school peers, or my consulting relationships. We can, we can bring them in and help, help them grow these companies going forward. The operator side. Exactly. Let me just probe a couple things on, sure. on that. So it was really interesting to hear about this because ultimately, if a seller wants to maximize their opportunity or they want to really understand which value drivers are important to which buyers, mm-hmm. that's something that I advocate for in terms of the process that I use. And 
we are essentially providing some of that insight right now, right? You're giving a great example by sharing what some of your deal criteria are, the size, the geography, the stability through the transition. So on that, do you look for an owner to stay on for a certain period of time and how long? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so generally we're going to, we're going to hope that the owner stays on through it, through the transition, right? And and that can mean different things in, in many different scenarios. And a lot of it is going to be dependent on how active the owner is in the business today. Now, if the owner is, when, and we've looked at everything across the spectrum, right? So we've, we've talked to, to companies where the owner is not involved at, at all anymore. And he's hired a, a general manager. And at, at that point, it's, not at, it's clearly not as important, right? But then we've looked at other businesses where the owner is the only person in the entire company that talks to customers. And so they have every customer relationship. I'd say, first of all, it's really hard to buy a business like that, right? Because it's very difficult to separate the owner from the business. But in a scenario like that, we're going to want to uh, we're going to want a, a longer transition, maybe, you know, 12, even 24 months. And, and in some situations like that, there's, you know, we're going to, we're going to want to make sure that we're aligned from both the future strategy that, that we want to take. And then also that everyone's incentivized, right? If they're going to help, help hand off those lessons that they benefit from a little bit, a little bit of, of the upside, because the other thing that, that we've found that's maybe a little bit different than some other buyers as, as well is, is we certainly come in with, with ideas, but at the same time, we recognize that we're really appreciative of long-term expertise in an industry, right? And so we view it as we'd be a little bit silly if we didn't try to, to grab all the great ideas that owner, the current ownership has. And we find we have a lot of conversation where the owner's like, you know, if I just had three young, hungry uh, you know, men or women to help me go after these things, I would do this, 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 and this. Yeah. And, but he's like, I'm just, I'm just tired and I want to retire. So right. let's, let's, let's grab those ideas and, and we can help you implement those type of thing. Yeah. And that's certainly with the client work that I do, whether it's on the value building exit planning side or whether it's on the transactional side, there are eight core drivers that always boils down to these eight. Mm-hmm. And you've hit on pretty much all of them. <laughs> and the two that I want to just kind of double click back on, one of them we call the rainmaker dilemma which mm-hmm. is that owner is the rainmaker and which leads to them having wonderful relationships, but of course leads to less value and, and less transferability. There's an episode that our listeners may want to check out, which is my conversation with Amy Franco. And we talked about the rainmaker dilemma and what can a company do to solve that? How do you get out of it? Which is really yeah. about creating a sales and marketing process that is not reliant on you personally as the owner. So I just wanted to, to put that out there for the audience if they want to learn a little bit more about how to sort of self-identify you're in that situation. And you, you called yeah. out a few things for that, Alex, which is really helpful. And then where do we go from there? How do we solve that problem? The other thing that you talked about is the stability and the team and process. How important are those aspects? Call it the structural capital, right? The structural infrastructure side of the business. Are you looking to bring in these former, you know, McKinseyites mm-hmm. and these operators, and they're going to put in processes that CW Partners is Growth Partners is going to say, use our processes? Or are you looking just organically at what they do today, and you want to take what they're doing today and just sort of build from there? 
Yeah. So I think, first of all, when I, when we think about business for us, there's really two really important aspects, right? One is the people that are involved. And then the second is the systems. So you hit, you hit on both of them. I'll, I'll speak about the systems for this, but I don't want to, don't want to gloss over that the people, as we think about it, the people and the culture are extraordinarily important, right? And, and, and we want to make sure that we're a good fit for the culture that's in, in place. And then that the people are, are a good fit for how, just how we think about business, first of all, right? But from, from a systems perspective, I think we want to come in and maybe grow on the systems that are already there. Because one of the reasons that we're excited about buying mature uh, mature companies versus going a, a startup route or whatever whatever it may be is is because of the systems, right? And so we're certainly going to look for there to be systems in place. So on the system side, we want to we want to build on on what's already there, and that's going to be a key part of our diligence process is that understanding that it's really things that are there, not just the quote unquote hero work that's going on by a few individuals, because that that also presents a lot of risks for us, right? Is if they, if the owner is doing that hero work or a couple employees were to, are doing all that hero work and if they were to leave post-transition. So systems are going to be really important for us. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. One of the other criteria I was curious about is industry. Mm-hmm. Are you looking at certain industries? Yeah, so we look at a variety of industries. I think we really like, uh, we look at business services, so B2B businesses. And then we're also going to look at niche manufacturing businesses as well. And then finally, we do look at more self-storage facilities. I think one of the things for us is is we we are generalists, though. And so we can look at a variety of things. And it's really more about the the situation and then the characteristics of the business, right? Is do they have a what we would consider a high quality revenue? So how are their how are their margins? Do they have strong margins relative to to their industry standards? And then is there is there some sort of growth potential there? I don't want to gloss over that. We either we put we put that name in our in our firm's title for for a reason, right? Is the all all the work that I did at McKinsey was always on the topic of growth. And that's maybe something that also is going to make us different than some, some of the other buyers and especially maybe a strategic, right? Is so strategics oftentimes are, are maybe going to be able to pay the top dollar, but the reason that they're able to pay the top dollar is because they're going to be able to capture quote unquote synergies. Well, like what, what does that mean? Right. Is, well, they're maybe going to be able to get rid of headcount and they're going to be able to, to, fire some employees, just to put it bluntly, because they already have those functions in their existing companies. For us, I don't want to, I don't want to do that work. I didn't want to do that work in my last, um, last job for a reason. I just, we don't find it very interesting or desirable. We're always kind of people, people. That's what comes from my background in the army. We want to think about growth and going after targets. Do you think about it in the sense of having a platform investment and then doing smaller tuck-ins or do you see all your deals potentially being, and I know you're a startup and your, yeah, your yeah, deal absolutely. flow is, is where you are right now and you're going to be yeah. doing some deals over the next year or so. So this is sort of, you know, looking forward. I know my question is yeah. looking forward, but in that sense, how do you think about it? Is it tuck-ins as a strategy with a platform or just sort of separate non-related? We look at both situations. So one of the industries we've been looking looking at quite a bit and having a lot of conversations with owners is the IT industry. 
And there's some pockets within IT that are growing really fast. So they're in organic growth and let's just be the, let's capture the market growth and maybe you can grab a little bit of market share because it's a fragmented industry and we're going to, we're going to try to build out some of our service off offerings and, and, and really be really customer focused. And we think that's going to allow us to, to grab some market share and we're going to grow that way. But then we, we also look at other situations where the owner has, has said, I had a conversation earlier this week where he's, he said, listen, I, this is a great platform. I know five other owners that are willing to sell me their, they want to retire too. They're willing to sell me their book of business. We could grow that way. And then we're going to integrate everything to, uh, together. You know, so I just, I, I need the help on the capital side and I need the, the help on the sweat equity side. I need some, it's a lot of work to integrate those things. And I'm 60 plus years old. And I don't want to do that. Right. But if I had a couple of young, hungry guys, we could go, we could go wrap this up. So we, we look at both scenarios. So back to the beginning, you mm-hmm. are part of a startup family office. If there's someone listening that is contemplating a transaction and contemplating what they want to do next, yeah, and they are thinking about starting one, what would be three things that you would say are critical for them to consider in launching a family office? Yeah. So first thing, without a doubt, is you just got to have alignment of the family, right? And so I have a sister. She's she's not involved in this. Other is other than you know she's a, a very smart woman has a has a great professional job. She works in medical devices, and so she has has a voice, right? But she's not involved on a day to day basis. And we had a sit down conversation with all of us, and it was a few hours with my dad, my mom, my wife my 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 sister and deciding is this the direction we all really want to go and and what does that look like and how does it make sense for us so we always say you know one of the things that's incredibly important is we still want to get along at thanksgiving that's like the number one thing that you don't want to screw up right and and i think in order to be to make sure you never reach that point you just have to be really intentional with the communications and sometimes cover things that can be a little bit awkward, right? Is how do, how do people, how do people get paid? Where do the profits go? And, and all of those things. But that's really, I think, important to, to cover up front. And then the, maybe the second thing is, I'll say is if, if that's sort of the higher level direction and, and do we want to do this as then the roles people are going to play. And are you going to have it be in our case where I'm coming in as the as the next generation and kind of playing that role? Or are you going to hire someone out, outside? You know, what does that look like? What could that look like? Do you want to team up with other family offices? There's a few different there's a few different networks out there. There's a few different firms that sort of bundle multiple family offices together. So that's maybe the second. And then the third is what direction do you want to go? So we, and, and how do you want to leverage the expertise of all parties involved? And, and what I mean by that is we talk to some family offices that focus a lot on, on public equities in the stock market. Some that focus a lot on the industry that they're coming, they're coming from. And, and then others like us that are trying to, to grow and diversify but also stay close enough to what you're doing. So you know, we're, we're growing maybe and diversifying from an industry perspective, 
but really we're comfortable with, in my case, small unit leadership, leading teams of 10 to 50 people, or, you know, in my dad's case, running a small business in, in what that, that looks like. I might add one more because sure. I think to your credit and even sharing with the audience how we met was your outreach to me as an intermediary. You know, you mm-hmm. found me because of Stony Hill Advisors and you were yep. doing outreach to, you know, mid-market M&A firms. And I think that's why we clicked and why I thought your story was so interesting and why I invited you to the show. And yeah. as you mentioned, to have these resources, I think you were you were talking about internal resources. I think you probably might add to the list these external. It might be your law firm, right, that has M&A experience. It might be your accounting firm that has M&A experience, deal experience. And likewise, you might find that building that network with either the bankers, right, people who are going to help with lending if needed, or folks like myself, intermediaries who have connectivity into relationships with business owners so that we can ultimately find the right match and try to find the right fit, as you were talking about earlier. Absolutely. I think there's that that great proverb, right? If if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so who are going to be those people that are that are on your team and, and help you, especially when when you're early in the process, the number one thing should all, uh, on our mind at least is is deal flow. Right. And in how many situations can we see so that we can make sure that we're finding the best business for us and the best outcome from for the sellers as well? Because we want to make sure everyone is aligned around uh, whatever winning means for them. Right. Because that's just that's a that's a, a better outcome. And I think the other thing that that's maybe and we've touched on this a few times about family offices versus versus is other is, I mean, my this is my my family right and and my grandfathers who are like two of the most important people in in my life their name is, is on our company for a reason and so that is very much not that we're always not going to be upstanding people all the time but a hundred percent for this right and and so we want to be doing this for 30 40 plus plus years and so all the situations we're going to look at we want to make sure everyone is treated really right because reputation really matters. So that's kind of what we're looking from an outcome perspective. So I digress from a, a, from a second there, but, but it also reminds me of, you know, I think the intermediaries and the different people that you work with, extraordinarily important for that, for that deal flow. And it probably comes from my background in professional services is I can really appreciate how much value that, that intermediaries bring. Yeah, me too. I definitely have a collaborative approach. So I think that's, again, why we clicked. You shared a favorite quote there, and I really appreciate that quote. And I love asking people if they have their favorite quotes, because it does sometimes encapsulate the conversation, and other times it really just shines a light on on you. Do you have any others you want to share? Yeah, so so I've got two that immediately come, come to mind. One is, so my kid's names, actually, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll cheat, I'll do three. But uh, <laughs> my, so my kid's names are, are Theodore, she's named after Theodore Roosevelt, my daughter's name is Amelia Earhart. And so I love Theodore Roosevelt, the, the man in the arena. It's just an incredible quote. I won't read it now. The whole thing is about a paragraph long. But if you're not familiar with it, go, go Google it. It's incredibly inspiring. It's just about getting in the arena, right? And you're not going to be perfect, but be a, be a man or a person, a person of action. Um, Amelia Earhart, I love from her, uh, if you want to do something, do it. 
So very similar, very similar theme. And then my personal favorite, it was my high school yearbook quote um, and, and was on a little placard in my office, but it's just the word forward. So it's the Wisconsin state state motto, but just forward, you know, be, don't, don't rest on your laurels and what you've done in the past, be, be moving forward. You're very action oriented. So that does not shock me at all. <laughs> and I love the tie with your, your kids' names and those quotes. That was really sweet. So last but not least, if people want to connect with you, Alex, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, great. So, so we've got a website. It's cwgrowthpartners.com. You can read a little bit more about us. You can contact us through that or, or my direct email is alex at cwgrowthpartners.com. And always happy to have a, have a conversation in, you know, if you're an intermediary or if you're an ownership owner thinking about what a transition could be, always just happy to provide our, our perspective. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on Succession Stories today. Of course. Thanks for having us, Laurie. My objective is for you to have a lucrative and successful succession. If you want to understand the value of your company today, the potential net proceeds of a transaction, and your financial needs after you leave the business, that's a great place to start. The sooner you understand these numbers, the more time you'll have to close the gap if there is one. Take the next step by requesting an initial meeting to begin planning for your business transition and strategic exit today. Request a call with me by visiting smalldotbig.com. That's smalldotbig.com. I look forward to speaking with you.